Tonight's Bible reading is from Acts uh, chapter 1 and then verses 1 to 11. Uh, So if you've got a Bible, I'll give you a sec to open that up as I find it as well. Alright, so Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In my former book, Theolophysis, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my fathers have promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the dates or times the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking up intently, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back into come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Steph. Hi, everyone. Hi, my name is Peter. For those of you who don't know me, and it's my privilege to be able to uh, yeah share God's word with you tonight. So over the last few weeks, we've been going through a series thinking about what does everyday evangelism look like. And tonight we're finishing up the series, but the big question with with any series about sharing our faith is, how do we keep focused? How do we keep this attitude and lifestyle of everyday evangelism at the center of our lives, rather than something that's just a, a secondary task that, you know, if we're lucky, we might do once a year, and maybe if we're a super evangelist, maybe three times. The question is, what are the things in our lives that make proclaiming Jesus has risen to become secondary? I think the main one, is, at least for me, is definitely the fear of judgment and rejection, that desire to look cool, to not offend, to be respected, and I think we each need to personally work through that. But sometimes it's not just fear, it's actually just how do I practically, on this earth, in this incredibly socially isolated world, go about my day-to-day and meet people and proclaim who Jesus is to them, whether that's school or home or work, or how do I practically stay on mission and do everyday evangelism? And sorry to disappoint, that's actually a much bigger question than what I'm going to be able to answer tonight, but I think the answer to that question will depend upon what you think it is that Jesus told his disciples to do and what you think he's telling us to do. So let's have a look at what he said, and here's an overview for those of you who like to know where we're heading. Uh, So tonight we're looking at the architect of evangelism, the power of evangelism, and the task of evangelism. 
And I'm really only going to focus on three verses there. There's, there's too much to, to look at tonight. But in Acts 1, 6 to 8, the disciples come to Jesus and, and they seem to have, quite, quite honestly, it's a bit embarrassing sometimes, these nationalistic interests about establishing God's kingdom on earth. And when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They've been living under the oppression of an empire. But now Jesus has risen from the dead. He's conquered death. Surely he can conquer all human authority. And Jesus says to them, yes, I can do that. I will do that. But that's not the plan for now. Listen to what Jesus says. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. He implies that, yeah, one day every human kingdom will be overthrown. One day God will rule and reign and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, but not yet. God has his own timeline, and in a season of unrest that's probably been unrivaled since World War II, at least for those of us in in sheltered Western world, this is a really hard answer to hear. If I was preaching actually a few weeks ago, I'm not sure if I would have stopped as much on on this verse. I I probably wouldn't have been that sympathetic to the disciples, but I'm actually really sympathetic to their question. Why wait? Why has God left this period of time between when Jesus has risen and when Jesus will fully, completely, utterly reign? For sure, the the Bible teaches Jesus is reigning now, but he's reigning in a hidden way, in in a powerful way, but a, a subversive way through his church, by his spirit, bringing about a new creation. But when we see the atrocities that are being committed by human governments and rulers and authorities, I can't help but ask why. Why, Jesus, have you left this period of time between your victory over death and when you fully claim your victory? It's like he's won the World Cup or something, but hasn't yet like, come to assert his title over everyone and claim that trophy. And t- to be honest with this question, I don't know in many ways. And I think this passage actually encourages all of us to be really careful about what we say. It's not for us to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority about when he's going to bring human history to his completion in his time. But what this passage does tell us is that there is an architect of human history, and that person is God the Father. And what we know from elsewhere in Scripture is that just, just one of the reasons why Jesus hasn't returned yet, we read it in 2 Peter 3, 9-10, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, his promise to restore his kingdom and rule and reign on earth, as some of us understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But that day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. God has delayed Jesus' public revelation as king because of his mercy, because he wants people to come to a trusting, saving faith in him, and scarily because he wants evangelism to happen. 
because he wants people to come to repentance. And so if the architect of human history thinks, thinks that, if that's, that's what he's decided, do, do we think that? Do we believe that God is the architect who gets to decide when human history will be complete, when evangelism will no longer be needed? I'm just concerned because I think we're honestly in danger in that it's so easy to think, well, people at school, they're not really interested, so probably shouldn't bother doing evangelism with them. Yeah, people at uni, not really interested, probably shouldn't bother. Work, my family, they're just not interested, probably shouldn't bother. And I think that train of thinking, it, it actually makes us the architect of evangelism rather than the father. We don't get to decide when evangelism stops. Yes, we need to be wise. Yes, we need to be strategic. But that doesn't give us an excuse or the freedom to say when evangelism should be done. The Father is the architect of evangelism, not us. So what's our job then? We read in verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says this mission that he's giving his disciples, it's established by the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and it's about witnessing to the Son. It's just this beautiful framework of how God the Trinity works that Jesus gives us. And I think there's two words here that if we're ever going to get evangelism right, we really need to think through. Just two words. And the first is power. Jesus says his disciples will be given power to do this mission. That's a pretty charged word. Power. When I say that word power, what do you think of? Like when Jesus says he's going to give the disciples power to do mission, what does he actually have in mind? And and that word power here in the original language, it's it's dunamis for the nerds, uh, but it can mean something supernatural like miracles. And we definitely see that in the book of Acts. It's an awesome, awesome demonstration of God's power. Go and read it. But that word dunamis, it, it also just means capacity, ability. In Ephesians 3, 7 to 8, we read Paul say, I became a servant of this good news, of this gospel, by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to non-Jews the boundless riches of Christ. Paul is given power just to be a servant of the gospel. He's given power to share a message. And what the miracles in Acts and the message have in common is that they have the same Holy Spirit using these fallible human people to witness to the Son. That's Jesus. That's the purpose of the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying he couldn't do this in his own strength. Jesus, if if you caught it in, in the passage, Jesus even says to his disciples, hold up, before you head out, wait, wait for the Holy Spirit. You can't do it without him. And I just love it. In Acts 43, it brings all this together so well. We read, with great power, the apostles continue to do what? Testify. Testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was powerfully at work in all of them. It's a power to share this incredible message. And it's given for a purpose. 
to witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And when, so when we come to think about everyday evangelism and, and just doing that in, you know, with our friends, family, school, wherever we are, I think the hard question is, do we think the power is with us or with the Holy Spirit? Do we think the power is in how well we speak, how good our services are, how strong our relationship is with that person? Or is it the power in the Holy Spirit? And I actually learned this one the hard way once, so I just wanted to share. Um, so in 2014, uh, if you know Francis Chan or John Lennox, they're just incredible evangelists. They're, you know, they must be, I, I think in my books, just the best evangelists living at the moment. Just John Lennox, he's this professor of mathematics, and he, he answers all these really hard questions really well. And Francis Chan, he just has these guns of sermons. You know, you, you, they're just incredible. And in 2014, they're running this event, this evangelistic event, and I'm like, if I don't get my friend there, this is never happening. And so, so I, I managed, it was a miracle. I got him there, rain, hail, shine, we were late. Anyway, um, kind of like tonight, actually. Uh, so we get there, and, and I'm like, this is it, you know? I'm just listening to them, and I'm just taking in every word. It's so good. I'm like, these, this is incredible. And we're driving home. And I'm like, okay, here we go. And I ask him, what did you think about it? What, what do you think about what they said? Yeah, it was all right. <laughs> it was all right. Like, you've got the, it's the best two people who could possibly speak about who God is and what he's done, and it's just all right. Yeah, whatever. It didn't mean much to me. What's the point of that? The, the, it's not about how well you speak. You can, I've, I've tried it. I've tried getting the two best evangelists, I think, in the world, and it didn't work. The power is in the message and in the power of the Holy Spirit working on people's hearts. That's where the power is, not in how well we do things. So the first word is power, that that we really need to think through if we're going to get this right. But the second word is witness. What does it mean to actually witness to Jesus? And technically, that that word, it it means uh, to testify in court, one who testifies to what they've seen, which raises a really tricky question for us, because how do we testify to something we haven't seen? I, I didn't see Jesus get crucified or rise from the dead. How do I testify with confidence that that happened? And I think it's undeniable that the apostles here, they they clearly had a unique ministry of testifying to the risen Lord Jesus, whom they had personally seen. And and what's incredible is that their witness is now sealed in the Gospels for us. So so any of us can go, here's the witness. It's it's just an incredible grace of God. But I I, I actually think we can overstate the difference between us and them sometimes. And and where I get this, have a look in Galatians 3. It'll it'll come up on the... um, on, on, on the screens, the Galatians were a church, a group of Christians. I don't, I don't think many of them, if any of them, had ever seen Jesus. But listen to what Paul says about them. They're, they're considering walking away from salvation by grace alone. And Paul says, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? And this is the part that is mind-boggling for me. Every time I read it, before your very eyes... Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Clearly portrayed. They didn't see Jesus on the cross. They weren't there. What on earth is he, Paul talking about? And, and what I think he is saying is, 
is the gospel was communicated to them so clearly that it was as if Jesus was betrayed before their eyes as publicly crucified. Paul's saying that we can communicate the gospel in a way that the truth of what Jesus did embeds itself on the hearts of those who listen. And the power of this comes from the Holy Spirit. There is a spiritual reality to this. But, but we also know the power of words, especially recently. The, the power of a news headline, of, of reading something as simple as the number of COVID cases and what just a simple number can do to us. And, and even in our, in our world where like, it's, it's such a visual age and, and it's frankly mind-boggling what words can even do, I, I would go so far as to argue that it's only through words, more technically language for the speech pathologist in the room, but it's only through language and words that we can ever truly understand what it means that Jesus was crucified. Without words to explain the cross, even if I was there, all I would have seen was a crucified man. And in our world where words seem cheap, they, just, they don't seem like much, where, where the value of the visual and the experiential are elevated, don't buy into it. Don't let it trick you into thinking that the gospel doesn't need language. It's only through language that the power of the gospel can be communicated. The challenge for us individually is, is actually to come to a point where we can say yes that gospel has been so powerfully communicated to me. I've I've seen it in Scripture. I I know that Jesus Christ was clearly crucified for my sins, and now I'm a witness to this message. I'm a part of this mission, testifying, telling, explaining, confirming this message as it's been passed down to me through the gospels, through God's Word. So we've got the power of, of mission We're talking about witness, but it takes us to the task of mission. So if the task of mission is to be a witness to the Son, what does that practically look like for us? And and tonight, I'm really wanting to raise a potential issue that I think we, we will need to come to terms with moving forward for our everyday evangelism. And I and I want to talk about the balance between our words and our actions. And to cut a very long story short, those of you who know me will know that I go into a spiral every couple of weeks over this issue. Uh, but I've come to the following conclusion. Uh, people from my Bible studies are laughing. Uh, words without deeds are dead. This is my conclusion. Words without deeds are dead, but deeds without words are meaningless. We cannot deny from the book of Acts that Jesus empowers his disciples to go and do good deeds as a way of witnessing. You, you clearly see that. And James 2 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? What, what good is that? And, and I think we, we need to hold that call so tightly because our witness will be weakened if our actions don't match our words. If we don't live our lives as if there is an architect of human history who set a day, who one day judge the living and the dead, we undermine our witness. But but I think in our context, and and maybe I'm just speaking even for this service particularly, maybe I haven't been at 10am or 8am much, but 
I think the danger is taking this good biblical principle that our lives must be characterized by love and then wrongly concluding, I don't need to speak. Because I honestly think our deeds without words are meaningless. And what I mean by that is, is not that they're pointless. That there, there's a distinction I'm trying to make here. God sees every good deed. He promises no good deed will go unrewarded. What I literally mean is that good deeds without words, without the life-saving truth of the gospel to explain to people why we serve, why we give our time, without telling our friends and family why we come to church, it can have any meaning that people want. And just to put some flesh and bones on what I'm talking about, I was once serving with an organization and we'd spent a whole week uh, helping out these schoolies making sure they got home safe amongst other things. It was, it was an awesome time. It was, it was, it's an incredible ministry. And, and you get assigned to hotels with the schoolies. And, and our schoolies, they kept inviting us to their parties. So we went along to make them drink more water and things like that. Uh, yeah, they loved us. That was actually kind of fun. But uh, I, I remember someone I was serving with there. Uh, and, and this schoolie turned to them and they said, like we'd been hanging out with them for about four days. Why are you guys doing this? Why, why, why would you spend your time, annual leave, holidays and stuff coming up and making sure that we got home safe? And she said, oh, it's just a really good thing. We just really care about you guys. And my heart, kinda, my heart sank because it was a half-truth. Yes, we care for people. Yes, e- even if we never had a gospel opportunity that entire week, it would have been a worthwhile thing to do to care for people. But what a missed opportunity to say something about the fact that we love because he first loved us. My point is, is that good deeds without words to explain them have no meaning. That doesn't mean every time we care for others, we need to say, I'm doing this because Jesus rose from the dead. That, that's not love. That's, that's annoyingness. That's arrogance. Uh, <laughs> we, we can't kid ourselves that somehow those around us are just going to figure out the gospel and what Jesus has done for them by looking at our lives. Witnessing simply by actions, without a word, I'm not sure if it's witnessing. Words without deeds are dead, but deeds without words are meaningless. So we talked about a lot of stuff. Let's recap. Ben might like to come up as we recap. How do we stay focused on Jesus' mission? I think we need to remember that there is an architect to mission, and it's not us, it's the Father. He's decided the time frame, and it's not up for us to decide when evangelism and mission is done. He empowers us by His Spirit, and that's where the power is, not in how well we do things. He empowers us by His Spirit to be witnesses through both word and deed, And this is a grace of God. I think the challenge for us is that we're likely to lean more towards doing nice things for people rather than having hard conversations with them about the Lordship of Jesus. As we finish up tonight, I'm just going to pray for us that we'd get this balance right. I think it just should be a constant thing that as we think through, wait, how do we do this? That's actually a good conversation to have. I'm going to pray that God in His grace would empower us to do His mission by His Holy Spirit 
And, and if, if you want to be doing everyday evangelism in your life, I'd really just invite you to join me in this prayer. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for what a privilege it is that you would invite us into your mission, Lord, to be witnessing to your Son. We pray that you would help us, Lord, just help us to trust in you, trust in your power, not ours, Lord. Uh, We just pray that we would remember that there is a day when you will judge the living and the dead and that, that you fix that time. It's not for us to decide when it's all finished, Lord. And I just pray that as we go about in our individual uh, ministries, Lord, or in in our day-to-day life, Lord, that you would just, um, even in our ministries in church, Lord, across our ministries, just help us to think through just that balance between our words and our actions. Just pray that you be with us tonight. Help us all to get home safely. And just thank you for your son and what he's done for us.